sanctification, um, there are three stages, positional, progressive, and complete. And uh, positional sanctification is that once we are saved, we are in Christ. We have positionally been sanctified, been set apart um, in Jesus Christ. And so positionally, when we're saved, we are sanctified. But we progressively grow in our sanctification. To um, um, grow more into the image of Christ. To um, grow in godliness. And uh, but we are not complete in our sanctification until we meet the Lord in the air. And, and, and then our bodies are resurrected as well. Then our um, soul will be completely sanctified. We will be sinless at that time. And then our body will no longer see corruption. The Bible will talk about how then in heaven there will be um, no more tears, um, no more pain, no more agony. And um, we'll be completely <coughs> sanctified when we are with the Lord and the resurrection. Some, though, teach that you could get to this complete sanctification here and now on earth. And they call it often sinless perfection. That they can get to the point where they no longer sin. And I remember someone um, condemning me before and saying, like, what, you say you're still a sinner? Go, well, it's not my identity anymore. I'm in Christ. But do I still struggle with sin? Yes. And they're like, what? And you're not saved. And it's like, Hey, really, you know, Jesus is the only one that's been without sin. And the Bible talks about we will see him face to face as he is when we're with the Lord in heaven. It doesn't mean we won't have sin now. But here's the verse they often turn to to show that you um, can become perfect. And so we'll go there, 1 John 3, verse 9. And it says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. And so they take this verse and go, See, it says that right here, if you've been born again, if you've been born of God, then you cannot sin. Like, well, you know what? You ever hear about context? About, hey, what's the context of the passage? And what's the context of the book? And what's the overall teaching of the scriptures um, teach? You know, there's some that will want to try to say, oh, there's contradictions. And one of them they point out is in Proverbs, where it says, um, uh, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. And then the next verse, or the verse before it, one, one or the other, says, Answer not a fool, lest thou be like unto him. Okay, the one that was writing that, Solomon, he did not just write one verse and then the next verse write the contradiction. Okay, wasn't, wasn't that ignorant? Okay, being one of the wisest men of his time and of many throughout history. Um, it was until Jesus came here, then when he said, a wiser than Solomon is here. And so it's not a contradiction, it's understanding the context. 
You know, there's a time to answer a fool intellectually. But if you're just answering back emotionally, you know, you're just going to look foolish like that. You know, you look at, okay, many times get different political banters back and forth. Okay? Sometimes it's just emotionally charged, and you look as ridiculous as the other person does when you respond at times. And now there's other times where maybe you're responding simply intellectually, and then you step back. And so where someone would, um, where that could maybe be helpful. But so reading 1 John um, 3 and 9, it would be read, even read verse 8. They'll use this, they said, well, he that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy um, the works um, of the devil. Um, in verse 10, in this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil, whosoever do of not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Okay, the Bible talks about us being born again. We cannot enter the kingdom of God except we be born again. And so before we were born in the flesh, okay, we've been born. But then we get born again. When we trust Christ as our Savior, we trust Him by faith, and the Bible says the Spirit of God causes us to be born again. It regenerates us. The spirit aspect of us does not sin. It cannot sin. That part which has been born again. And so a believer in that, in walking in the Spirit, cannot sin. Because the Spirit does not sin. But, as Paul says, we are still in the flesh. We are to crucify the flesh, but we, we, we end up, um, and he says, you know, the things I would do, I do not, and the things I do not, I wish I would. And so he says, you know, there's that battle of the flesh and the spirit. And so how do we know for sure that John wasn't saying that Christians never sin again? Well, when you see him, even this a Christian, in his life, you see that John himself sinned at times. Uh, um, you see, um, with um, pride, had issues with pride um, at different times, um, where he, um, he was asking, you know, like, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And him and his mother was like saying, yeah, these guys are going. John and James are going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And so we see John himself sin. But we also could tell by reading this same book, okay? And I don't mean the same book as in somewhere else in the Bible, um, some other book of the Bible. I mean John right here, writing this first epistle, we can see what he writes in here elsewhere. Um, go ahead and go to chapter 1. In verse 8. Because if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. I've never had someone that was trying to teach me sinless perfection to then turn to this verse to reconcile it with that. Um, but, but like usually they get to a point where they feel like you know they've arrived, they don't sin, they never miss church, um, they don't watch television, they never watch a movie, 
Um, I'm going to never drink. I'm, they're never a glutton. And I'm going to just go off on this list. Yeah, I don't have any of these struggles at all anymore. And stuff. And which they are struggling with pride now. Um, but it goes here. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And I'd say that was true. This day, they were deceived. They thought they arrived where they never sinned. Now, the person was in the midst of a divorce at the time, and so I'm like trying to point out this too. I go, what, what's going on here? Here you're saying you have no sin, but then you're, doing, you're going involved with this, and then you were the one at fault in it. And so that's oftentimes with hypocrisy. We see the sin in others, but we don't see the sin in our own life. And we do better to see our own sin greater than we see in anybody else. It says then, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from un all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Okay? So John's pretty clear here that no, we do sin, we do struggle with sin. But the seed which remains in us, that, that, that spirit that we've been born again, that it, it does not habitually sin. And so it's, it's been redeemed, it's been sanctified completely, the spirit has in that aspect. But um, um, in Proverbs 29, it says, Who can say, I have made my heart clean, I am pure from my sin? And the answer is, we can't. None of us can say, I've made myself pure from my own sin. Now, Jesus washes it. Jesus washes it by the snow. And as the Bible says here in John, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we don't cleanse ourselves on our own. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. And there's no one that sins not until the person of Jesus came down from heaven. And then it says there was no guile in his mouth, neither sin, um, that, that he laid himself as a sacrifice for our sins and gave us his righteousness. And so while sinless perfection is not biblical, it's not possible um, in this life, we should sin less. It should not be something that has dominion in our life. We may not be sinless, but we should sin less. John Murray said this, Indeed, the more sanctified the person is, the more conformed he is to the image of his Savior. The more he must recoil against every lack of conformity to the holiness of God. The deeper his apprehension of the majesty of God, the greater the intensity of his love to God. The more persistent his yearning for the attainment of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, the more conscious will he be of the gravity of the sin that remains, and the more poignant will be his detestation of it. 
Which does not be effect in all the people of God as they came into closer proximity to the revelation of God's holiness. And the closer we get to God, you know, we're going to be shedding that sin. We're going to be turning from that. We are going to be more conformed to the image of Christ to strive to be holy. And so who's involved in our progressive sanctification? And the answer is, both God and man is. Now, God is the one that does the sanctifying work, but there is an involvement that God requires of us. First, we see God's role in sanctification. Since it is primary, it's work. As Paul says, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Um, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 11, we see one specific role of God the Father in the sanctification is the process of disciplining His children, us, as children of God. That there will be times where God will allow us or bring us through trials because of the decisions we've made. Jonah would not have needed to be swallowed by a well if he went to Nineveh when he was told to. It would have been a much more pleasant journey. He would not have had to be bombed. Okay? He wouldn't have been able to go there. Now when we look at it too, like you know, some people go, how could a loving God have a well swallowed Jonah? Well, it is his love and mercy of God, otherwise he would have died. He would have perished, he would have sunk. And so, even through that trial of being swallowed by a well, and, and, and become his flesh, no doubt, starting to rot um, while he's alive, and he starts to stink, you know what? That was the mercy of God protecting him from drowning in the ocean. And then also we see it was a picture. He was there, and he says, in the belly of hell for three days, three nights. And Jesus said, as Jonah was in the valley of the well, three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be, um, and, and rise again the third day. And so we see that picture in there as well. But we see then Jonah went. Jonah went and preached to Nineveh. And so you know what? God will use chastening in our lives to get us back to where he wants us to be. And so God does discipline us and teaches us lessons. And it's a good, good thing you ask. Okay, you know, if you're in a trial, ask God, are you disciplining me? Are you trying to draw me back close to you? Now, every time you're in a trial, does not mean you are being disciplined of God. But that's where you pray, you serve, you go ask God, help me to know this, reveal this to me. Sometimes it's simply for our sanctification to grow. And the Lord sometimes is a trial um, that's just of this world. It's, it's the curse of sin. Sometimes it could be the devil um, causing issues in your life or his minions. And so those could be all at play. But um, sometimes you could be being persecuted. And you know the Bible says, but happier. You know what? Count it a joy that you can suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. Well, we see one specific role God sanctifies us is through discipline to 
to get us to be more conformed to his image. Um, in Philippians 2.13, it says, says, It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. 1 Corinthians 10.30 says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. I'm going to turn to Second um, Thessalonians. <clears throat> Just before first and second Timothy. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse thirteen. Oh, yeah, yes, I'm in the wrong spot. I mean before verse second Timothy. Uh, 13 says, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, the love of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. And so, sanctification of the Spirit, and the Spirit of God will sanctify us. And so, the work of God is in our life and sanctifying us even progressively. But our role in sanctification is primary one of that's both passive, um, but also active. Um, it's passive in that we depend on God to sanctify us, and it's active in which we strive to obey God, to take steps that will increase in our sanctification. Um, we can consider these aspects. First, okay, the passive role that we play. Um, is, you know, the Paul tells us, right, um, readers, yield yourselves to God. Yield yourselves. Yield yourselves to his hand. Yield yourselves in righteousness. Tell us the Roman Christians, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And so you're yielding yourself to God to sanctify you. In prayers, and God, please sanctify me. Help me to grow closer to you, to live more like you would have me to live. Help me to overcome the temptations that face me. And so Paul realizes we are dependent on the Holy Spirit's work for us to grow in sanctification. In Romans 8.13, it says, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And so here Paul acknowledges that through the Spirit we are able to do this, but he also says we must do it. Okay, read it again. If ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, he shall live. And so he comes to this for the spirit, okay? But you must do it. That this is something you must yield yourselves to. Um, it's not the Holy Spirit who is commanded to put to death to the deeds of the flesh, but to Christians. You're commanded to be filled with the Spirit and to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Uh, first Thessalonians, go ahead and um, turn back. Chapter 4. It says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us 
how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more, for we ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. You know, sometimes people go, what is the will of God? Well, here's one of them right here, okay? Even your sanctification. In sanctification means to be set apart and to make more holy in this type of context. It says that you should abstain from fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, but in the as the Gentiles which know not God. That no man go and beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. And so here, Paul tells us, tells us here that to sanctify ourselves, to be sanctified, to, to live as we're sanctified, to abstain from fornication, to, to, to take care of what you do with your body. And so we're part of our part of sanctification is to obey. To obey God. To follow Him. Obedience. It's important to continue to grow both in our passive trust in God to sanctify us, but also to be active in striving for holiness. To have a greater obedience. If we neglect to actively strive to obey God, we become passive, lazy Christians. If we neglect the passive role of trusting God and yielding to Him, we become proud and overly confident in ourselves. In either case, our sanctification will be deficient. We must maintain faith and diligence to obey at the same time. Read this quote yesterday, posted it on social media uh, by Dustin Bing. He says, There's a danger in ministry. And he's talking to pastors here, um, those serving ministry, but this really applies for all Christians, whatever ministry it is that you're doing, and just as a Christian. But he says, There's a danger in ministry of one day realizing that you were overwhelmingly busy but have not grown deeper in the things of God. That is possible that you can get so busy in the ministry, but not grow deeper in your relationship with God. Pastors can get busy in the ministry and not get closer to God. All of us as Christians can be busy. You know, you can help in the children's ministry in Sunday school. Um, um, we can get that started again. Um, you can be involved in all these types of ministries. And um, we had a lady and her son, those who made English because they were trying to keep it secretive. Um, but the lady said they were trying to secretly beat the garden, the flower beds here. And so, of course, I caught them. Know it, some and so actually my kid then goes, Hey, they're they're here. I don't say their name, it's not that hard to figure it out. But they were faithfully pulling weeds all day long. They I didn't miss them the first day. We go, what a wonderful thing it is to serve God, to serve the Lord. You know, we're not really being sanctified if 
for never serving the Lord, for never finding ways to serve in the church. No, we're not sanctifying in that area. But it is possible to be involved in those kinds of things, to do the busy work, the works of the flesh, even of the hearts and of the spirits in it, but it can be easy to do those things and not grow in our walk with God. I'm not saying they weren't doing it, okay? But we see that with Martha and Mary. That Martha was getting overwhelmed in the Bible, okay? That she's like, Lord, look what I'm doing. I'm doing the dishes. I'm doing all this work. And Mary is just sitting there being lazy. Those weren't her exact words, but that's what she was saying. All Mary is doing is sitting at your feet. It's all she's doing. She's just talking to you. She can talk to you another time. But Jesus says, Mark from Mark, troubled by many things. That she's full of cares, full of anxiety. That she was so focused on having a clean house. And she was not spending time with the Savior. This Martha, or Mary, Mary had chosen the greater part. See, Jesus wasn't going to be here in flesh forever. He's going to be crucified soon and then go to be with his Father. So now isn't the time to be doing the dishes, it was to be to spend time with Jesus. So that's what we need to watch in our life. And I've been guilty of times where, man, busy, busy in the church, getting the work done, but not in the word as much. Maybe even missing a day. Maybe missing more than a day. That shouldn't be the case. Yes, we're all going to be guilty of it. But let's try again. We're not going to be sinless, but let's sin less than that. Let's let that happen less and less where we are not growing in the Word. Now when you're growing in the Word, you're going to grow a serve. You're going to want to have a heart like Martha as well. To have a heart to serve and to get things done. But you're also going to understand there's times where you need to sit and be at the feet of the Savior. And grow in the Word. In one place, that people often grow spiritually the most is in the hospital. They're stuck in a hospital bed. They can't be busy at work. They can't be busy doing all the different things they're doing in life. But they sit there and they're able to reflect on their life. They're able to be, just spend time in the Word of God and read and read and read it. But let's let that be our lifestyle where we're able to read the Word more without us being in some type of medical traction. Again, the danger in ministry is that one day realizing that you are overwhelmingly busy, but have not grown deeper in the things of God. And again, that could happen while you're doing the will of God. You could be doing things you know God's called you to do in your life. You could be in your occupation. To be in your free time. You know God wants you to do different things. You know, we have some people that serve in the gospel mission and serve um, and, and feed 
um, and help the homeless. It's possible to do those kinds of things and not grow in our walk with God. It's also part of growing our walk with God when we're like James, where James writes about and says um, those that um, um, sin and that they see one have a need and they just say, oh, well, you know what? I hope and I pray things go well for you. Instead of actually trying to take care, trying to do something about it actually showing charity. So this sanctification should affect the whole of the person. That it should affect our intellect, our knowledge. Uh, Colossians 3.10 says, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Okay, we should be renewed in knowledge. Our knowledge is we read the Word of God and grow in our understanding of God's Word. That's our mind being sanctified. The sanctification of our intellects will involve growth in wisdom and knowledge as we take every thought captive to be in the obedience of Christ. Um, find that our thoughts are more and more the thoughts um, that God Himself imparts to us in His Word. Growth and sanctification will also involve our emotions. We will see increasingly in our lives emotions such as love, joy, peace, patience, temperance, the fruit of the Spirit, manifest often in an emotional way. Now, love is not just an emotion, but it should be in part an emotion. Joy and that peace. The Bible says, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. And so we will find it increasingly true that we do not love or to love not the things of the world, but that we are to our Savior delight to do his will, to be emotionally involved when we serve the Lord. You know, and they're given. You know, it can be easy for some just write a check. But you know, our heart should actually be in it. It shouldn't be just something we're doing. Hey, you know, we're giving an offering to the Lord. You know, in the Bible, when they would give sacrifices, it's an offering unto the Lord. Are you glad you don't have to do that today? That you don't have to bring a bloody lamb up here? No, I'm sure glad. Um, that don't have to. I'm glad Jesus paid that price for me. But Jesus talked about how many times they would do that. They would offer sacrifices, but their heart was not in it. That their lips drew nigh to God, but their heart was far from me. And that could happen in an offering. Oh, yeah, hey, I got some cash here. I'll put some in there. But no one said, you know, maybe be prayerful, go, hey, Lord, you know what, this is for your work, you know what, Lord, use it, you know what, God, may you use this to help the missionaries that we support, um, you know, my heart wants to be in it, and the Bible does say, where your treasure is, there your heart is also, that the things that are important to you, you will invest in. Okay, you know, we just use some of you know, we started getting you backpacking. Okay? You know, so part of our heart was into that. And you know what? Some of our treasure invested <coughs> in that. 
You know, you, you put one or two to things that are important to you, the things you want to do. You know, if you're saving up for a family vacation. You know, it's not that necessary that you're valuing the vacation itself, but you're valuing the time spent with your family. And so you're doing that. And so you put treasure to something, and that's where your heart is. Jesus knew all of that. No wonder Jesus uses us and wants to use us to give unto his work. God could have created everything to be where we don't give anything at all. But then we would not really be in his image. And God created us in his image. And part of that is to be given, to be charitable. But you know, we should do it with our heart in it. The Apostle Paul even wrote about how, um, even though he'd give his body and be burned, or he'd bestow all his goods unto the poor, if he hath not charity, he is nothing. Just tinkling symbols. Just lots of loud noise that is possible to give to the poor, but your heart's not in it. You know, many wealthy people do it for a tax deduction or to get the praises of men, but God wants our heart. Bible says that God sits up saying that, that he would rather have obedience than sacrifice. It's better to obey than sacrifice. Saul was trying to say after he had said, he said, I'll, I'll give this offering unto the Lord. Samuel's like, no, God would rather have obedience than religious rituals. Religious rituals are meaningless if there's not obedience. And you know, you see throughout history, church history, you see even in Catholic church history in specific, that uh, they made it so, okay, you can go ahead and sin, um, but just pay this indulgence. Pay this fee to the priest, um, and they use that to build the Vatican. That was like, hey, have you committed murder? Okay, confess to a priest, this is the fee for doing that. And then you're good to go. Well, your heart's not in it that way. You know, a lot of people treat Mardi Gras that way. They're like, we're just going to go sin all we can, and then we'll get forgiveness. The heart's not in it. Our heart's not in our sanctification. If we just want to go try and live in sin, because we know, oh, God's going to forgive us. Yes, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. But we're just showing we're really not wanting him if we're just habitually trying to live a sinful lifestyle. Sanctification will also affect our, um, our, it'll affect our spirit and the non-physical part of our being. The Bible says, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And Paul says, concerned about the affairs of the Lord will mean um, taking that how to be holy, both in body and in spirit. And so sanctification affects our physical bodies. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some motives. Some motives. 
um, for obedience to God in a Christian life. It's true that our desire to please God, to express our love to Him, is a very important motive for obeying Him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. There's some people I've heard of him say, oh yeah, um, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church, or I love Jesus, but I don't love that. Um, you know, as far as with the church specifically, that's the Lord's bride. No, why would you say, you know, you love Jesus, but you hate his bride? Yeah, his bride is filled with blemishes. This is filled with you. Filled with me. It's filled with sinners. But that's where Jesus is continually sanctifying us. And we're to yield to that. And so we should love the things Jesus loves. God forbid if we say that, you know what, we love Jesus and don't keep his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. The need to keep a clear conscience before God should be motivation. Um, the desire to be a vessel of honor, and, um, to have increased effectiveness in the work of the kingdom. It's in 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21. talks about us being a vessel unto honor, prepared for the master's use. The desire to see unbelievers come to Christ through observing our lives. Man, I just did something heavy, maybe for the first time last night. I wonder if I'll see them in heaven. I don't know. But I led someone to the Lord in a dream. <laughs> I just had a dream and I led someone to the Lord. It was someone that was trying to kill me. Uh, they were trying to kill me or hijack me. I don't know. And I led them to the Lord. It's probably just a fictitious person, but I just thought I was weird. Hey, I led this person to the Lord in a dream. But you know, the Bible just talked about, you know, it be our affection, be on the things which are. You know, sometimes that will affect the dreams we have, and other times it won't. And sometimes I'll have dreams I'm like, I never even had that thought in mind. How did I have a dream of power that? The desire, so the desire to see unbelievers come to Christ by observing your lives. Well, you should never use your life to um, be an example and then also say, I just never share my faith. I'll just live a good life. That's not what Jesus called us to. He's called us to be sanctified. He's called us to be holy. But he also called us to teach all people the gospel. To teach all nations. It's not a run and hide religion. It's a go and tell religion. And so we should tell it by our lives, but also by our voice. <clears throat> The desire to receive Christian blessings from God in our lives and our ministries. You know, I love it when I receive blessings from God. It's a wonderful thing. I love it when I trust God in prayer and God rewards that. It's wonderful. I love it when man, I'm praying with someone else in the church. They're going through a situation and we're praying. I remember just recently, several months ago, was praying with an individual and it just, things look awful. And I was praying, praying, you know what? We're going to pray this going to be okay. And that person got terrible news, bad news. It's going to affect their life. And that's where I was. This was gutsy, but this was a confidence in God and trusting in God 
but it's like I was cursing God in prayer. So I you know what? I know they told you that. I know it. But I believe God is gonna work that all out. I believe that's gonna be reversed. Sounds kind of foolish for a pastor to say that to somebody that in the situation they have, maybe they'll share a testimony about it in the future. But um, for a pastor to say that, to have that kind of boldness, that I know, you know, that's going to be reversed. You just watch. Trust God and watch. A month later passes and it reverses. That was faith built. That was wonderful to see. To see something that everything just seemed to be falling apart, and then the final word, so to speak, was given, and it was falling apart. Like, hey, let's trust God, let's keep praying, let's pray for God. You can turn the hearts of kings, can turn the hearts of others. And then, yeah, what's neat to see? What's so awesome? So blessing. It's awesome to see the blessings of answered prayer. We should also have the fear of God in our lives. Um, in other words, the desire to avoid God's displeasure in our life. To avoid God's discipline. Okay, not by trying to run away from it. God just said a well, okay? So don't try to run from the discipline. But I think my children like it when they're disciplined less. Okay? Okay? Yeah, I have one shaking their head back there. He likes it. And how does he get that? By being obedient. By doing that which is right. You know what? Except for our life, we sometimes had a kid that gets disciplined more than others, and one that gets disciplined less than others. It's not through showing favoritism, it's through their responses of obedience. And I would so much rather be less, and not use proper English, but be less disciplined. Then I have to. Then I have to be disciplined for God to get me where He wants me in. And so the fear of God should be a motivation in wanting to grow in our sanctification. And even more so, the grace of God. Because you know you don't just want to live your life completely in fear. You know, like some people um, will say, you know, they went to church and just every week they always go bad every week. They are that they're always feeling afraid. They're afraid they're going to split hell well, wide open. Well, the only reason you should be fearful of that is if you're not saved. If you don't know Jesus is your Savior, then yes, the Spirit of God's going to bring conviction of that. But God does not over and over. We see, yes, there's the fear of God, there's the wrath of God. But you know, in the preaching and the teaching, there's going to be messages that convict. They're like, ouch. Or, did my wife tell the preacher about what I just did or I'm doing? Preacher, tell my husband, wife, whoever, and, and so, so, no. You know, so like the Spirit of God does But, you know, we should not be living our lives, though, perpetually with guilt. We should not always be just weighed down and be discouraged. Saying, oh, woe is me, I'm just this terrible sinner. Yeah, you are, but thank God for His grace. And that He motivates us, He redeemed us, He saved us, that we don't have to have to sin to have dominion over us. And He doesn't want us to live in that guilt. 
her wife. You know, don't you know who this woman is? She's an adulteress. That's been her life. And here she is worshiping you. You wouldn't let some woman like this worship you. And he said, her sins, be, though they be many, though her sins be many, love much. And to whom little is forgiven, love little. And these Pharisees, they felt self-righteous. They felt holier than thou. Jesus like, you know what? You don't really have that forgiveness. You're still in your pride. You're still in your arrogance. There's not, they did not have a love for the sin. But that woman who had committed adultery over and over in her life found redemption, found a new life, and she loved the Lord with all of her and you know what? Jesus did not expect that woman to perpetually live in guilt all her life, thinking, oh, I can't believe I did this, I've done that, why did I do that? No, he watched you knew. He wants you to live in victory, not to live in defeat of what happened in your past. He wants you to live victoriously. He does not want you to continue to live in guilt. Yes, can you use this as a testimony to help others? Yes. Can you share with others? Yes, I made these mistakes, and these were the consequences I faced. But I stop. I'm saying I'm redeemed, and I'm living for the Savior, and I do not live in guilt for what's no longer me. And so be motivated by the grace of God. Be motivated and desire to seek a greater heavenly reward. The Bible talks about rewards. Um, and, you know, seek the greater reward. Um, Having the desire for a deeper walk with God. Let that be your primary motivation. And I think it was, Pat, um, was John Patton or uh, some, some missionary. And he, um, um, so someone said, um, they said, let us know the trails in Africa to go to get to the mission work you're at. He says, I don't want the people that just want to know what trail has already been broken down. He goes, I want those that have a heart to get here where there is no trail, and they make the trail themselves. And their heart is in it, they will get here. Desire for a deeper walk with God. Desire that the angels would glorify God by your obedience. And we understand it, but the Bible does talk about 1 Timothy 5 21, 1 Peter 1 12. They know our obedience, our obedience, the angels glorify God. And a desire for peace, Philippians 4 9, um, or 5 5 and Hebrews 12 1 and 2, joy, but peace, joy. Those be reasons also to live for the Lord and be sanctified. Let's go ahead and we'll close in prayer. Uh, time's sake, we just think about sanctification.